are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Today our reading will be from the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 33. Allow me to read that for us. He told them, still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is too much, too much. Good morning. Man, everyone's chipper, it's August, there's air conditioning, God is good. Um, I'm Catherine Boatwright, if we haven't met yet. I am wife to Patrick, father to James, I mean, father, Lord. (laughs) Bad start, mother to James, Um, he runs amok, I'm sure you've met him. Um, But I am just delighted to be here. Um, I'm not a pastor, I do operations for a nonprofit, and so I really consider it to be a privilege to see what God has for us in his word today. Um, And since I have the mic, I just want to quickly honor Patrick, um, since he doesn't have it. Um, I just want to tell you that he loves all of you so much um, with such genuineness and desires to see the Lord at work in you and for you to be known and seen, and that's just the man that he is. And it's a privilege to be his wife, and it's my joy. So just know you're in good hands in this man. Yeah. been in this series, The Kingdom of God is Like, working our way through Matthew 13, um, which has been a series of parables um, talking about what the kingdom of God is like. Um, So I want to take a minute to paint a picture of what's happening. So Jesus' ministry is well underway. Um, He's been baptized. There's been healings. He's teaching in synagogues. Um, He's delivered the Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered his crew, the disciples. And now he's got a following. Um, He's having a moment, if you will. Um, And the beginning of Matthew 13 gives us this amazing image, this detail, where he says he goes out to sit by the sea, some peace and quiet, and then crowds start to form. Um, And it gets so crowded that he has to actually go sit on a boat off the shore. So in my image, I'm picturing him in the East River between Manhattan and Brooklyn, (laughs) shouting to the shore of Williamsburg, you know, the kingdom of God, and people are like, trying to get to the front or in the back, like rolling their eyes, sipping their iced coffee. Um, But regardless, a lot of people want to hear what he has to say. And again, you know, we said that he's been using parables. And just a reminder that a parable is just a story or a metaphor to illustrate something, to uh, to give an image, something to really hang on to. And for this, for the kingdom of God, he wants us to understand what him and his heavenly father are about. And so he's using parables to do that. And up until this point, scripture has described Jesus' teaching as proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. 
Gospel also means good news. So the good news of the kingdom, Matthew 4, 23. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This was the whole thing. This was what the ministry of Jesus was all about, was to bring the kingdom of God. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus came to restore what was lost in Genesis 1, which was the last and only time that God and his creation were in perfect harmony on earth without the effects of sin. And this is where the rule and reign of God was fully intact. And I think that's a really good way to think about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. Bible Project has an excellent video that breaks this down, which is where I got that terminology from. But, and it's not that the introduction of sin took God off the throne. It's that now we've put ourselves on another throne and our allegiance is to ourselves and not to God. So that's the whole problem. That's the whole problem that we're trying to solve here. And so Jesus is trying to explain what the rule and reign of God looks like. And he says, okay, listen up. First, in the back, let's talk about dirt. Let's talk about seeds. Let's talk about weeds. A mustard seed, fine, we'll get more detailed. Um, And today we're talking about yeast or leaven. And it's just not impressive. If I was having my moment, dirt would not be my starting point. You know, I think in today's world, especially when we're talking about taking advantage of the moment, it's like, okay, where's your strategy? Where's your jokes? Where's your PowerPoint? Where are your NFTs? I don't know what those are, to be clear. (laughs) But I know they're having a moment. Um, But he doesn't. He doesn't use any of things. Because what he's trying to do is be relatable. Because the kingdom of God is an other thing that we really have no concept for. And he wants to say, I'm going to use these ordinary things so that you can enter into this with me. So that you can really see yourself in it. So I'm going to talk about dirt. I'm going to talk about seeds because that's what our brain can handle. Um, Thankfully, we're looking at one verse today for me. Um, So we're going to unpack it. I was using the English Standard Version, so I'm going to reread it than what we had before. So the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So I've already said this, but what is leaven? It's yeast. Yeast is the ingredient that makes bread rise, and it gives it strength, and it gives it flavor. How many people started a sourdough starter during the pandemic? Raise them high, raise them high. There's more out there. Um, I'm sure they were called like Lucy and Annie, you know, something like that. but this was most, this is what yeast was. It was old fermented dough left over from a previous batch that was saved to then put in new dough to serve as that yeast agent. You know, now you go to the store, you buy a little packet. That was not the case here. So we can now add old dough to the list of topics that Jesus is covering for us. Um, but this would have been very familiar for people. People made bread every day. Um, they would have had these ingredients in their home. And I also want to point out that most likely it would have been women who made bread. This is just another nod to the invitation to women specifically from Jesus to be a part of what he's doing, to be a part of the ministry of Jesus. He loved to push cultural norms to bring dignity to those that had no dignity. And this was just another example of that. So then we have the three measures of flour. Um, Some other versions and scholars estimate that this is about 50 to 60 pounds. Here's a picture of what 50 pounds of flour looks like, maybe. Um, It's a person. It's a small person, right? Um, Thanks to the internet, we know this. Um, So I want to 
take a minute to think about what's happening here if you're mixing the leaven and 50 pounds of flour. If it's me, I gotta put it in a trash can because it's like, you know, I don't know what you do with that much flour. And you're probably in it up to your waist. You're mixing, you're mixing. I mean, it's all over you. I mean, I can use a cup of flour and it's all over me. But it's a full body, full engagement. You're just immersed in the flour at this point. Maybe she had a system. Maybe she had 20 bowls. You know, she had a real you know, factory setting going on. I don't know. But I know that it took a lot of work, that it took a lot of engagement, that it took a lot of mess. There's a metaphor, we're not gonna get into it. You can think about it later. Um, Jesus also uses the word hid here. He doesn't just mix it, he hides it. And this is just not what we would naturally say about mixing. Um, the original Greek also uses the word conceal. You know, I would never say I concealed my milk in my coffee, right? Um, so it's on purpose. The leaven can no longer be found amongst the flour. You cannot separate it out, you cannot pick it out. It has become one and the same. And I think similarly, ideally, when Jesus is active in our life, he hides himself in us so deeply that you can no longer tell the difference between when our heart ends and when the heart of God begins. And I think after some stretching and kneading, the result is the kingdom of God. So from this imagery, I think we can draw out three characteristics of what God uses to build his kingdom when we're thinking about yeast and flour and the woman and all of that. Ordinary, available, and sinful. So ordinary, we covered this last week with the mustard seed. You know, Patrick dived into this. It was the most common. You found it on the side of the road. Um, so small, so forgettable, so mundane. And it's so much, so much like that canister of flour that's in your pantry the old dough that's in the jar. It's just there. We're just not really even thinking about it. And what Jesus does is he takes that thing and he grows it into something strong, into something whole, into something nourishing, and it's so much more than what we imagined. It's actually the opposite of ordinary, but he takes the ordinary thing and he makes it into something beautiful. He grows it into an everything bagel. <laughs> my, personal, my personal bread preference. Um, Second, he uses what is available. Now, I think inherently something that is ordinary is also available. Um, the Hebrew word for bread, lehem, also means staple food. So it's kind of this generic thing for food that everyone would have had and would have been the base for a meal. So again, the components for bread would have been in every home. It would have been served at every table. Up until everyone became allergic to gluten, everyone had a bread basket on their table, you know? <laughs> it was a core part of the nourishing of people, bread, because it's just easy to do, easy to make, easy to get. And Jesus has a history of using available things. So in John 9, he actually restored sight to a blind man using mud. He put spit in dirt, that's disgusting, sit in dirt, mud, put it on the man's eye, and he could see again. In John 2, he turned water into wine. They ran out of wine at a wedding feast, and he said, go get the canisters, fill them with water. Take a sip, it's wine. Again, just water in a canister. And even when God created the first man and first woman, he took the rib of the first man to create the first woman in Genesis 2. Things being available, he's really quite resourceful. He doesn't need to make a special order. He doesn't have to make a trip. He just looks around and he says, yep, this is what I need. This is what I'm going to use. 
I, when I'm thinking about how God has used something really ordinary and available in my life, in our last church community, we were a part of a community group for, um, I was a part of it for 10 years. And it started as a women's group, then became co-ed over time. And when we first began, I was somewhat new to the church. I really wanted community. And I was like, you know, I've got a living room and I have time. So here we are. And so there was a space for this group to meet. And, you know, we read books, we prayed, we read scripture, just like what everyone else does during community group, and just invited the Lord to be in that space. And it was amazing. It was amazing what God did. Um, you know, he freed people from anxiety. He freed people from addiction to exercise. We saw the, <laughs> you saw the kingdom um, and how we were there for each other, you know, when um, through divorce, through the loss of parents, in the joys of when people became pregnant, when we brought James home. You know, the kingdom of God was in that space. It was whole. It was beautiful. He was at work. And it started with time and space, a living room, a couch, pizza, you know, very ordinary things. And something I can't get over is that Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I, which is really, really hard for me to believe. And when you think about this, I mean, Jesus did a lot of things. He loved the unlovable. He healed people physically. He freed people from their emotional bondage. And he actually brought people back to life. And he says, you will do greater things. And I don't think he's lying when he says that. Jesus doesn't have a history of lying. And so I just pray that we would be a people that says to God, here I am, send me, both in big ways and small ways, to say I am available, I am here, do with what you will. Maybe it's mud, maybe it's water, who knows what it is that God wants to use. Lastly, he uses what is sinful. Um, this may seem a little strange, but one of the primary components of this parable is leaven, and leaven has a deep history for the Jewish people. So in Exodus, if you read it, the Jewish people were once enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt, actual slaves in bondage. And God used Moses to rescue the Israelites and bring them out of Egypt. And he gave specific instructions for how they should prepare to leave, to escape. And one of the things he said, make bread without leaven because you're going to need food, but there's no time for the bread to rise. We're people on the move. So they made unleavened bread, and this became a part of the celebration of Passover. Passover is the celebration of the rescue out of, Exodus, out of Egypt. And so this is still common um, for Passover, to eat unleavened bread. And this is something that's really resonating with the Jewish people, because they're like, okay, like, you know, we associate God with unleavened bread, but okay. And then in Leviticus, the book right after Exodus, God lays out more specific instructions for how to bring sacrifices and offerings um, to the temple, which is how you were cleansed, how you honored God, and how you ultimately entered his presence. Leviticus 2.11, that's a flex, by the way, that we're in Leviticus. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. So very explicitly, he's saying, do not bring leaven into my house. And so for generations, the Jewish people were preparing bed, bread without leaven to enter the temple, to enter the presence of God. It was synonymous with the idea of being unclean, an actual deterrent from experiencing him. 
And this idea is really weighing heavily, again, on the Jewish audience as they're listening to this. And the last thing that's curious about Jesus using leaven to illustrate here is that every other reference in the New Testament of leaven is used to give a warning about the pervasiveness of sin. In Luke 12, 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Pharisees were the religious authority at the time, and they were really corrupt. And he said, Beware, beware because what they do is going to spread throughout this community. 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Again, it will spread throughout. It was a warning to the church of Corinth. So Jesus is taking what has been for generations something that was unholy, that would inhibit access to his kingdom, and he's saying that's no longer the case. I've come, and I'm turning what was unholy into holy, and I'm doing something extraordinary with it. And the difference between these examples of the leaven is that Jesus is involved, and he has the one who has the power to turn what is unholy into holy. The leaven doesn't matter. It's just a thing. God can take anything and turn it into what is holy. And so he's flipping the idea on its head of what they have known about what access to him and the kingdom of God is. Here in the U.S., we don't have a lot of experience with kings and kingdoms. Um, everything I know about kingdoms, I've learned from The Crown or a Princess Diana special with my mom. Um, every mom was obsessed with Princess Diana, right? Um, and so I don't really think this is how kings work. Um, and so if this is a God that uses the ordinary, the available, and even the sinful to do his work, it's just the opposite of what we know to be true of kingdoms. They're about putting up walls. They're about putting up gates and armies and moats and who has the power and who doesn't. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, yes, you are it. I want to bring my kingdom through you and my purposes will be fulfilled through you. So while I want us to learn about the kingdom, I really want us to know about this king this king who's building this upside-down kingdom? Who is this king that uses the ordinary, everyday thing and he turns it into something tremendous, something beautiful? Who is this king that takes what has always been sinful, what has always been dirty, what has always been banned, and uses it to partner with him to bringing redemption and wholeness to the earth? So what do we do with this? That's always the question. And we've already started, thanks to our worship time, but I think first we acknowledge King Jesus. And we give him a name. Because it's not just any king that we're talking about. We're talking about our king, and we are his people, and his name is Jesus. He came to earth to declare and establish the rule and reign of God and to live a life that shows us exactly what the kingdom of God is. So if you're curious, look at the life of Jesus. That is it. And we must remember that ultimately he is the one that is building his kingdom, not us. We are those ordinary, everyday things that he chooses to use. It's a privilege. So again, we talk a lot about the kingdom, and he uses these stories to help us. But what is it actually going to look like in its fullness? When the kingdom of God is here, when the kingdom of God has arrived... And while we get to experience and see the of God here on earth, it's just going to be windows. 
because of the pervasiveness of sin and the brokenness of our world, and hopefully they become doors and bigger opportunities to really experience and enter into it. But thankfully, the Bible tells us what the kingdom is actually going to look like, and I think we have to remember that because pursuing the kingdom is hard. It's messy. It takes our full body. It takes a lot of work, just like that woman mixing the flour. In Revelation 21, 3 through 4, he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a common verse. So if you've been in church a while, don't let this, don't let it just fall off of you. Think about it. When was the last time you cried? (laughs) People were like, 10 minutes ago, thanks. Um, (laughs) um, Was it over a heartache? Was it a diagnosis? Was it over the loss of a loved one? Was it the stress of work became too much and you couldn't bear it anymore? God says, not anymore. Not in my kingdom. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. This is the kingdom that our king is building where we don't have to deal with any of that anymore. It's just him and his glory. And he, for some reason, he wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to be a part of building it. So I'm keeping this brief today because I really want us to focus on who King Jesus is and the band can start to come up. Um, So today, as we go into a time of reflection and ministering to one another, I really want you to ask yourself, who is this king? What's he like? What are his characteristics? Who is this king to me? even more specifically. And we're going to answer that together through worship because I think the more that you see of King Jesus, the more you have to worship him because of his goodness. But I really want you to take a minute and think about it. Don't just move on. Don't just run to the bathroom. And if you're not sure who this king is, that's also okay. Um, There's going to be people who are here to pray for you. and they'll help you answer that question and get to know him. And I can tell you from what I know to be true of God, um, I've walked with the Lord for over 20 years now, and how I've seen him work is that he is a king that loves justice. He is full of grace and mercy. He has unconditional love for his children. He is a king that enters each one of our stories so personally and so specifically. And he is a king that is humble enough to compare himself to a hard-looking woman just trying to make some bread, someone who is seen as just above property. And he's a king that will work you and stretch you and desires to make his kingdom out of you. So I invite you to come and pray at the front. Um, This is just space for you to worship, to pray, to be prayed for, um, to kneel, to do with what your body, what your heart and mind is doing. so please take advantage of it. And so my, my prayer for us today is that you would see the face of Jesus so clearly. And not just the face of a man, but the face of a king who is looking at you so lovingly and so adoringly.
and ultimately wants to use you for his good works and purposes. <laughs> so whenever the band starts, we will go ahead and enter into worship. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, man. I'm, you know, I'm new at this. Um, um, but Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are not a king who is in some throne room that has no part or do with his people, that, but you are amongst us, that you are in the mess, that you are in the weeds, that you are baking the bread. Jesus, I pray that we would just make ourselves to you, available to you in what you're doing.